At 84 with Parkinson's, our friend Paul decided it was time to simply put himself into his heavenly daddy's hands and let him heal his lungs or take him home. What gives a man that kind of confidence when the breathing tubes are removed? What about our loved ones who have died in Christ? Will we be with them again? As Dave Wordson concludes our study of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul addresses these questions about hope in the face of death. Paul Smith threw some blood clots and they ended up in his lungs. And they called 911 and they rushed him up to the nearest hospital. They put a breathing tube in and they got him on a respirator and they put him on Cubitin trying to dissolve those clots. And he just sat there, really not getting much better. And we knew he was conscious, he could talk to us, but he had the big tube down so he can't really express himself. He was able to write to us, is how he communicated. So he really couldn't talk to us. Thursday, I got the call early and Dorothy says, Dave, come on up here. Paul's written on the sheet of paper. I want all this stuff out. Just like I did with my own dad, I went up there and the two doctors were there and they meet with Paul and they meet with the family and they're saying, are you sure that you want to do this? Do you realize we don't know what's going to happen? You might just recover really well and be able to dissolve these things, but you could go into cardiac arrest and the doctor's spelling out. You know how they do before surgery? They go through all this horrible, dire thing. But in Paul's case, with Parkinson's disease and sores that aren't healing in his legs and two great big clots in his lungs, it really is serious. And it's possible we could just pull that paraphernalia and then he's gone. And so we were looking at eternity. They put up the sheet. His son Gabe has to get it up just exactly right. And Paul's able to write out, Paul Smith, I'm ready to have all this stuff out. The doctor comes in and takes out the breathing tube and takes out the feeding tube, gets him off the respirator and after Paul's vocal cords begin to wake up, some of you have had those tubes down, you paralyze your vocal cords. And so he can't really communicate for about five minutes. But then slowly his vocal cords wake up and he, he's able to talk. His oldest granddaughter calls and says, Papa, what would you tell us? What do you want to tell us? He says, don't honor me, follow Jesus. Don't honor me, follow Jesus. Tell all the grandkids, I followed Jesus all of my life. You know, we're talking, and after he really was doing all right, he said, Dave, you need to go home. Go home. And in essence, he was saying, you need to go home and get ready to teach the family of believers. And just as I got ready to leave the hospital after I prayed, he looked at me and said, I'll see you in the rapture. That's the last thing that Paul said to me. What a great legacy. I'll see you in the rapture. I want you to think, you're going to have the tubes taken out of you. You're going to have the breathing apparatus that's taken out of you. You know that you could be home in glory. You are stepping on shore on the other side. How do you feel about that? Are you confident about that? And what's going to happen? What I want you to know is that Paul is one of our brothers that actually lived that. He actually experienced that in all the way he had the hope. And I want to take you to the passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, Beginning with verse 13, we're going to look at the passage that Paul built his life on. And what Paul is actually doing is he's laying the groundwork for why we as believers can have this kind of hope. It's in the portion of Scripture, from the time I've been a little boy, there's a little phrase called left behind. How many of you ever heard of that phrase, left behind? 
When I was a kid, Billy Zioli was a big filmmaker, and they made films about the rapture, and all of us that were raised in evangelical homes, that you remember you come home from school and all your parents were gone because your mom was in the backyard or something, and you got this horrible fear that you've been left behind, and so you go scavenging into the refrigerator to make sure there's going to be enough to eat before the terrible Holocaust takes place. And so you're scared. Anybody ever had those fears? Sure. When I was a kid, the idea was left behind. You don't want to be left behind. But what, but what fascinates me about the Word of God as we grow older, one of the things I want you to learn to do is let the Bible answer the questions that it sets up. Because what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read a portion of Scripture that, we, that I read hundreds of times at graveyards, when it, right at the internment, when we're getting ready to put someone in the ground. But, I, but you need to really listen today because when you lose your loved one, you're not going to hear, if I do the service, you're not going to hear what I say. Like, you just don't. You're, you're just so focused on your emotions and stuff, and you're not going to remember what we say. I'm going to study together with you one of the most familiar portions of Scripture, and most of you have heard this over and over again. But this morning, I want you to think about what Paul says. And I want you to think about why he says it, because what he says, he says what he says, because he wants you to have a confidence like Paul did, even if you're on the edge of eternity. A lot of you have lost loved ones. We just come through a year of the church family where a lot of our brothers and sisters that have gone home to glory. So some of you are grieving still, and you're going to be grieving until this glorious reunion But Paul's going to teach us today that we don't want to grieve like those who have no hope. And so the passage, and Paul's reminding us, he wants to help us understand what happens to our loved ones. And the phrase left behind that we're going to begin with, looking at 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the Apostle Paul is saying it's not people here on earth that are left behind after the rapture. The biblical phrase left behind addresses an issue Will the Paul Smiths of the world that have come to know Christ, that went to the intensive care ward, took off all the stuff, and then they went home to glory, will they be left behind? That's the question Paul's going to address. You see, the early Thessalonian church had been taught by the Apostle Paul, your Savior's coming. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to wipe away all tears. He's going to destroy death. The last enemy will be destroyed is the enemy of death. And he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords forever and ever. You're being persecuted in Thessalonica, and the Roman Empire is trying to, to snuff out your faith, and you've got religionists that are attacking you, and, and now you've lost some of your loved ones. Are they going to be left behind when Jesus, the great king of kings, comes to deliver you? And to bring about justice against your enemy, that's the tenor of this passage. I've been raised with the idea of the coming of Christ all my life, and and, and I really believe the Lord Jesus is going to come suddenly in the rapture before the tribulation period. Right here in this church family, you're from different backgrounds. And this morning, what I want you to understand, one of the really crises, we're like a family that knows there's going to be a great celebration. Our loved one that we haven't seen in many years it's going to come back. And the meals are getting ready. The turkey's being done in the oven. And the salads are all being made. And, and the pumpkin pie, like a great big Thanksgiving celebration. The apple pie, everything is being ready. The homemade ice cream is being ready. 
we're like a family that argues, is this going to begin at 3 o'clock or at 4.10? And if you're one of the 3 o'clock people, I'm not going to have anything to do with the 4.10 people. And that's crazy. What I'm concerned about is that, is that we've missed the point of this passage. The point of this passage is not to scare you. It's not for little kids to be raised, scared to death, like I was, like I might miss out and my parents are taken away from me and I'm not. What kind of a Savior is going to do that? The point of this passage, I want you to see the Apostle Paul has the Thessalonians ask him a question. Timothy comes back and Timothy explains, you know, he says, Paul, you got them all excited about the coming of Christ. They're so excited about it that they think it's going to be any second, which is true. It, it's imminent. It could happen at any time. And it's going, to, it's, going to be, it's going to be something that will invade our lives. And Jesus, just like he ascended into heaven, he's going to come back for us. What the Thessalonians are concerned is, will those that have died, they lost some of their members, like Paul, will Paul Smith be left behind when the great festivities begin? And that's the question Paul's going to address. So what about believers that have physically died before the appearance of Jesus, the great coming of Jesus, what's going to happen to them? Will they miss out on the festivities? Look at verse 13 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. My brothers, your sisters are included, like I've taught you. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. A falling asleep is a euphemism that's used for physical death in the Greek culture, the Roman culture. I can give you lots of illustrations. So he's talking about people like Paul that physically died on Friday. His body's going to be put in the ground, and people are grieving over them. It says, don't grieve like the rest of men, though to be those that haven't yet entered into this good news about Jesus that don't understand about his death on the cross, that don't understand about the resurrection. They're the people we need to have a passion for. They're not the enemy. Even those who were persecuting the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul wants us to have a passion to reach out to those that persecute us, but he also wants us to know that we're okay. Because if people don't respond and they keep attacking Jesus, and they keep attacking his people, there's going to come a day when the great king that's omnipotent comes, and he'll defend his children. That's what he's talking about here. And the Thessalonians are grieving. And I want you to see the Apostle Paul doesn't say, now don't grieve. So one of the very important things you need to understand as a believer is death still stinks. Dorothy has been with Paul for years and years and years since they were young people. They've served the Lord together. She also knew that this was coming. Paul's been wrestling with Parkinson's for years now. We've gone in and out of Veterans Hospital. Dorothy knew. But she's told me over and over again the last several hours, boy, Dave, wasn't really ready. Man, it's hard. Don't be uneasy about that when someone says that. When somebody just breaks out and cries. I talked about this as we met with the Smiths. Is you go back and forth. When you lose a loved one, you're laughing one minute. You remember some funny thing they said? And then the next minute, everybody cried. Those of you that have been there, have you noticed? The first time I experienced it, I felt guilty when I laughed. But that's the way your emotions work. You go cascading back and forth. You're remembering the person's life. And those of you that have gone through that, 
That's the way it is. What's marvelous about the Word of God is that the Lord teaches you to be healthy. When you lose a loved one, one of the responses is to grieve. It's to cry. Jesus, our Savior, doesn't come and says, now you stop that. I took you to heaven and it's just a shell of a thing anyway. Just get on with it. That's the way some of you are. That's not healthy grieving. And I'm going to come and see you because you have a heart attack six months later. Because you internalized everything. One of the things that believers need to do, learn to do a little bit is to weep and wail. Not like those who have no hope, but it hurts to be separated. It hurts that you're not going to be with somebody. It hurts to realize that this present time that we understand and all the experiences we've had, that time is over. We grieve over that. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Amen. So the Apostle Paul is going to explain, why don't we grieve like those who have no hope? I want you to see what he roots it in. You say, well, Dave, how do I know where Paul is? And some of the young people might ask me, well, how do I know that, that we can trust the fact that Jesus is going to come again? The fact that there's going to be a great day of restoration. How can we trust that? Paul lays out and he points us back to what the ground of our faith is. What's the proof of our faith? He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many of you believe that Jesus died on the cross? If you're just a secular person, read Tacitus, read Suetonius, read Josephus. They're non-biblical historians and they'll tell you Jesus died on the cross. So you can, you can root your faith in that. Like you live in a world where people can believe a lot of things about Jesus, but you just can't say, oh, he never lived. That's just nuts. And I gave you some solid proof. In other words, I also want you to know that Jesus' crucifixion had forever changed history. In other words, if, if you're going to study English literature, you're going to study the history of the Western world, you're going to study the history of the world, and you've got this back and forth movement. Ever since Jesus died, it's the crucial thing. It's what we fight about. If you have, if you have an atheist friend, they're going to want to argue with me, uh, with me and with you about the cross of Jesus. That's the way it is. And that should tell you something. This is really important because everyone's uptight about it. Just try it. Be in a conversation and just be talking about, oh, yeah, there's this teacher and this teacher. And then you just throw it and say, well, I just want you to know that I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for my sins. And then just stop. And that's a real important thing because this is the ground of our faith. The second thing he says, if we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, you always have those two things. How many believe that Jesus rose again? And the ground of that is, is, is we're here today. And a lot of you are raising your hands saying, I believe he rose again from the dead. And there's strong proof of that. There's eyewitnesses. You can examine their credibility. You can examine the cause effect. Because in before 30 AD, there's Jews and Romans. And like I've often taught you, there's pagan religions like the worship of Isis and Osiris. There's the worship of, of all different Greek gods like Apollo and, and Zeus and all that kind of thing. After Jesus rising up from the dead, you got people that are it's exploding like a grass fire that believe Jesus that was born in Bethlehem, that died in Jerusalem, has risen from the dead. You got to contend with that. And you want to challenge your unbelieving friends. You got to you just look at history because it pivots. Jesus is the only major religious figure 
that claims to have risen from the dead. Very, very distinct thing. In the body, with a new glorious transformation, he leaves his death behind. When we as believers go to Jerusalem and to the church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is probably the site where Jesus was crucified and then was buried, there's no body there. That's very unique. Like, I can go just a few yards away and go to the tomb of David, and the idea of going to the tomb of David or to go down to Hebron and go to the tomb of Abraham, it's to know that the body is there. When I go to the garden tomb, I don't go to see a body. That's very distinctive. And that's the ground of our faith. You say, well, Dave, why should I believe this? You want to point your children, point your young people to the veracity and the truthfulness that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. He said, now, if you believe that, then you can also believe this. He says, if you believe Jesus died and rose again, we believe that God will bring with Jesus, and it uses the very personal name for Jesus as our Savior, those who have fallen asleep in him. So the very first thing, like with the Smith family now, Paul's gone home to be with Jesus. And the Lord is saying at his coming, what's called his parousia, at, at his presence, when he reveals himself in his glory, like a great Roman governor that says, I'm going to appear and I'm going to come in all my pomp and circumstance. He says, when the Savior does that, that Paul, one of his children, is going to be with him. Is that comforting? So one of the things I want you to understand, like if you have a loved one that, his, that has died physically, Paul in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this verse is, is, is implying that because our loved ones come with the Lord, which means if they come with the Lord, then it means they're already with the Lord. And what that means is that the Paul does teach that the spiritual, immaterial part of us, as soon as we die, is taken to be with the Lord. The Scripture really doesn't teach a lot about that what's called the intermediate state. And theologians argue about that. And one of the things I'm really committed to is if the Bible doesn't teach me about it, I, I can't teach you that about it. I don't know. But what I do know is the important thing. And the longer that I study God's Word, God's Word tells me what I really need to know. I need to know that my dad, Mary's dad, Mary's mom, Mary's brother, all the people we've lost in our families, Al Bauckham, the people that helped us found Midlothian Bible Church, like Tommy Hobson, I need to know that they're with the Lord. Is that comforting? You bet. Is it also comforting to know the Lord's going to bring them with them? So Paul's beginning to answer the question, will they miss out on the appearance of Jesus, on the coming of Jesus? And the answer is, no, they're going to come with them. Now we're going to fill in some of the details, though, and his focus is on a very unique thing. Lots of people in the ancient world believe that you'd have some kind of a spiritual existence after you die. What they weren't into, what about this body? And one of the great things about Christianity is you've got a hope for bodily resurrection. And that's a marvelous thing. Like, Jesus didn't just come back as some ghost. He came back as someone that could eat fish again by the Sea of Galilee. Someone that Thomas could thrust his hand into his side. Bodily resurrection. That is the very unique hope of a believer. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to say. He says, you, you know your loved ones are spiritually with the Lord. They're going to come with the Lord. But what about their physical body? 
What about the body that we hugged and that we loved and that we kissed and that we had fellowship with? What about that union of a body and spirit? The Apostle Paul is going to address that. Look what he says. He says, according to the Lord's own words, so he puts a stamp of Jesus himself, we tell you that we who are still alive, so if the coming of the Lord, if the rapture took place today, even while I'm speaking, we would be part of the group that's still living when Jesus comes. Paul would be part of the group that has died physically. And Paul's addressing what's going to happen to him. Well, look what he says. If, he says, according to the Lord's own will, we are left to the coming of the Lord. So there will be some believers on the earth, down through history, you can be absolutely certain that the Spirit of God is going to keep working. People are going to keep knowing the Lord. That should help you not to be afraid. It should also motivate you. i got to keep sharing Christ. I need to keep reaching out to my friends. I need to keep going in all the world because we're going to do it. There are going to be those who remain believing in the death and resurrection of Christ until they come. According to the Lord's own word, there will be those who are left till the coming of the Lord, the appearance of the Lord, the great coming of Jesus when he revealed himself as king. He says they will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. That's the question. Paul's going to get the jump on us, and he would love that. I don't like running long distances, and I've often joked with you in athletics, like playing football, I just needed to be able to get the jump on people. All I needed to do was be able to beat them for 15 yards. Now, a lot of the ball players that I played with would run the 100 meters. My wide receiver was really fast in the 100 meters. Well, man, it all depends upon the start. It's all in the start. And what the rapture teaching is saying, our dead loved ones, they hear the gun first. They get the jump on us. And I just love the Lord's heart. We're worried about our loved ones that might miss out. He says, don't worry about them. Maybe you need to be concerned about yourself. You're going to be a split second behind. That's a great hope. There's even humor in that. And the Lord says, they'll certainly not miss out on that. They're going to precede those of us that are left behind. For the Lord himself, that's the promise. And I want you to see the focus of this passage. The focus on the passage is on Jesus it's about being with Jesus. The focus of the passage is, is the Lord himself. That's what I want the passion of my life to be. I know theologians that I've known all my life, they fight and they argue over the timing of this and the structure of it and who is present and who isn't and all kinds of stuff. But they don't really love Jesus. They're not really passionate to be with him. It's all become just intellectual. And that's what I pray for myself. Like, I, don't, I, want, I want to long for Jesus to come back. How about you? That's the comfort of this passage. That's the point of it. The Lord himself, no one else. It's our precious Lord with the nail print in his hands and the wounds in his side. If you're a covenant, amillennial person, you need to be in love with the coming of the wounded but now resurrected Savior and you're my brother. So don't reject me because I'm premillennial, and most of you don't even know what that means. You understand what I'm saying? One of the things, as, as your pastor teacher, I, I want you to love the appearing of Jesus, and I want your priorities to be right and your passion to be right. It's the Lord himself. What's going to happen? The Lord himself will come down from heaven now, don't quibble because the Lord has to speak to us like children. 
And the idea is like when Jesus ascended to heaven, he was caught up in the clouds. When Yahweh, the great I am, appeared at Mount Sinai, he came with clouds down on the mountain. He descended on the mountain. I could argue using like a physics where the idea is that there's intercolliding dimensions of reality and that there's not an interface. I could talk to you like that. That's just another construct of what's going to happen. Don't reject God because he talked about coming down from heaven. You think it's primitive. Everything the Lord tells us about himself eternally is primitive. We're just little kids. I love what John Calvin said, that God babbles for us in little children's talk. So don't reject Jesus because it says he's going to come down. It's one of the ways that it talks about the appearance of God. And notice what uses the idea, all the stuff that happened at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 is going to happen. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. And the next two things are what that command is. There's going to be a loud command with the voice of the archangel, Gabriel probably, because he's the one that's always the archangel that has the voice. And Daniel 7 talks about the Son of Man suddenly appearing in the clouds of heaven with great glory. So there's going to be an angel that shouts with a great voice. It's like the herald that announces the coming of the great king. Here comes Jesus. Prepare, prepare in the street. That's the idea. And then you blow trumpets. So if you don't like trumpet, I'm sorry. You're going to like it in heaven. And this is the great shofar. It's the ram's horn from a Jewish context. Whenever they had convocation. In fact, when the Lord was getting the people ready to see him in Mount Sinai, they blow the shofars and all the people gather on the mountain. And the Lord I am appeared in the mountain. Remember, Moses goes up and receives the law. It's all the same imagery. The clouds are one of the most, and as Texans, we understand this. Like just the other day with those thunderstorms, the clouds just the other afternoon were here in the west. And Mary says, wow, look at that. And the sun was breaking through those clouds with brilliant light and then all rimmed with those radiating rays that just blow your way with all different colors in the clouds. And that's one of the closest experiences that we get to the grandeur and the might and the power and the awesome beauty of eternal otherness and holiness and all that's involved in that. And the Lord's a great artist. He brings this all together. What he's saying is the coming of the Lord The coming of the Lord is going to have that kind of grandeur. Like if you've ever been, like I played the trumpet, if you've you've ever been like where the the whole piece is rooted in the trumpets and the trumpets come on. In fact, the hardest wedding I ever did was Jenna and Chad Adams' wedding. I had to play the trumpet voluntary with with Paul Schroeder and several others. They knew how to play. I didn't. And man, I practiced and practiced and practiced because we needed to come on with this trumpet call as Jenna was getting ready to come in. That's the idea of this passage. Jonathan and I wanted to make sure that we didn't blow the trumpet wrong, that we didn't blow it, but we blew it right. That's the idea here, because when we started the trumpet, everyone stood up, and it was the glorious time of Jenna coming, incredible, incredible time. That's the picture here, that the angel shouts, the shofar sounds, the trumpet's called. It's a great symbol and then Jesus appears. What's going to happen? It says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's bodily resurrection. The dead in Christ get the jump on us that are left behind. But they're not going to be left behind, and we're not going to be left behind if we know the Savior. It says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be snatched up. And that's the idea. That's where the word for the rapture takes place. The idea is that you as a believer 
that are living here on earth, if you tarry in your physical body till they come in the Lord, what Paul is saying is you will be snatched up and you will be caught up. And then it tells us something really powerful. It says you will be caught up, snatched up with them. So the Lord unites. Like Dorothy will be reunited with Paul. All of Paul's sons and his daughters, they'll be reunited with Paul. And then it focuses, you'll be together with them in these grand transcendent, you know, clouds, the picture of all that what I was describing for you, in the clouds of the heavenly glory, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with the Lord. Paul talks about the evil one being the prince of the power of the air. Jesus is now coming to take over. No longer is the evil one in control of the atmosphere. Of, and it's not talking about just physical air at all. It's, it's this whole present world system we live in. And this is the beginning of Jesus conquering that world system. And we're, we meet our loved ones. We meet them, and now we are with the Lord. And this is the point of the passage, and this is what all of us can agree upon. It says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Then he tells you the point of this. Therefore, scare the devil out of each other with this passage. Doesn't say that. It says, therefore, comfort each other with these words. We're at all different stages in life. We're at all different passages in our life. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that you've got a great hope that life can be filled with Parkinson's. It can be filled with blood clots. It can be filled with sudden strokes, sudden heart attacks. It can be filled with kids that break your heart and you wonder whether they're going to come back. And you weep and you cry and you grieve. It can be filled with funeral services. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope because based on the death and the resurrection of our precious Savior, just as certainly as he rose again from the dead, our loved ones that have died in Christ are going to rise again from the dead. I want that to be the core of your life. I want it to be the center of your life. You say, Dave, why is that? Because I want you to be able to be like Paul. Like, I'm around a lot of people just before they die. I wish that wasn't so, but I am. And there's a difference. Someone that doesn't know Jesus, and I'm struggling to try to, you know, try to break through. Sometimes they're in a coma, and sometimes they come out of it, and I'm trying to make sure that they know Jesus and trying to make sure that the family understands that they know Jesus. That's really hard. And I don't, I don't say that in, like, I'm judging them. I'm just saying... Jesus is the only Savior that can beat this. And, and, and I know what intensive care wards are like. I know that we often lose the battle there. I know that medicine can't ultimately heal us. I know that because of my lived life experience. And all I'm telling you as I, I close this message today is you got a brother in our midst, and I want to be like him. That right up until the time when he couldn't breathe anymore, He's saying, go get ready to teach God's people. I'll see you at the rapture. I'm okay. I want to go home. You don't have to keep all this artificial stuff on. I don't want to just keep suffering like this. I'm okay. And he walked right through the doorway of death. And one of his kids was singing beautifully 
a great, great hymn reminding us that it's well with our souls and be still my soul and all these marvelous truths that we've sung about today. Comfort each other. Today, as you're sitting here, I want to comfort you. Think of your loved one that's gone on before you. Their spirits with the Lord. But what I want you to put your eyes on is when the trumpet sounds, Billy will be with Asa, and then together with Asa, she'll see the Lord. Isn't that incredible? Chris is going to see his daddy again, and Pat's going to see Mike again, or her precious husband, and you're going to be hugging each other, and then it's all going to be drowned out in the wondrous, joyous comfort of seeing the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting God. What an incredible, incredible comfort. Comfort each other with these words. And chapter 5 tells us how should we live. So go on and read that in your own personal time. Read Ephesians 5. It talks about how should we then live. And it says, once again, it's not that Jesus is going to come and scare you, but it's saying the unbelievers could be caught like a thief in the night. But you're not of those who sleep. You're not of those that are drunk. Jesus has made you wide awake, sober, living in him. What a great hope we have. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that your comfort by the power of your precious Holy Spirit will reach out to my brothers and sisters. Lord, we grieve together. And as a church family, we faced a lot of the loss of our brothers and sisters. And help us to realize that that's the way that it is until Jesus sets up his kingdom. I'd ask you, Lord, that this passage would be a passage where we let your spirit breathe hope and breathe comfort into our life. I pray that for the rest of our lives now, because of what we've heard from your spirit this morning, that we would understand what the Apostle Paul was saying about what happens to our loved ones when they die in Christ, that we would also have a great yearning for the appearance, for the glorious appearance of Jesus, that you would help us to understand that the coming of Jesus is just as certain as his death and his resurrection that's already taken place, and so we can be confident about the future. 